You're listening to the Spark Report, John W. Davis and Pavy. What's going on, Pav? How you doing? How you feeling, man? How you feeling? When was the last time we did one of these? Oh, I think it was February. And it was February. The streets, aka Twitter. Yeah, February. The streets, aka Twitter, is asking for it. Jesus. So somebody it's, asked me, it's said, really, the it's, Spark Report? It's coming? really been that long. I think so. Jesus. Yeah, because think about sense. it. Because you yeah. know we normally do them. We normally do them in person. Yeah. And then March, no. no April, no. no. May, May, March. no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. June, we're just in the middle of it. So I fair. think it was February-ish. Fair, fair. But Makes man, sense. a lot of stuff going on with the WNBA. I'd like to talk about the Sparks Final 12 on the roster. We got some new players. The WNBA is looking at having basically playing on one site. But I think the most important thing we should talk about right now is a conversation we had with Tierra Ruffin Pratt Great the other day when she talked about social justice mm-hmm. and what can be done to improve relations between the community and police. And she talked about police brutality, but she specifically told her story that you and I were familiar with yeah. about her cousin being mm. killed by an off-duty police officer, off-duty deputy, that is, in 2013, yep. and how that affected her family, how they had to wait for him to be arrested, how they had yeah. to wait for eviction, and how they weren't necessarily satisfied with their cousin's killer or their loved one's killer getting six years as opposed to life in prison, which they felt like it would have happened if it was the opposite way. Yeah. If the cousin would have killed the cop, they felt like of it would have been life. Of course. So, and you and I were talking and she didn't really have the answers and as does, I said it, as that does that's nobody. okay yeah as does anybody right and I said that's okay that T.R. Ruffin Pratt doesn't have the answers I just think it's great that she's willing to talk about it and willing to talk about it at length yeah um especially because I mean, I mean for me it's especially for her you know because it's a situation that's I think it's sensitive to you know all of us as as you know um, african-americans but especially when it touches you because this really happened to your family you know um i think we're all sensitive to it because it could be any one of us but when it's happened to somebody in you know your family that means you have you know first-hand knowledge of really what it's like you know we're kind of just i don't want to say assuming what it's like but kind of assuming what it's like because we've never you know went through those court proceedings we didn't get those phone calls you know we didn't have that moment with our family you know that you know our loved one was taken away from us um at the hands of the uh, police so the fact that she was willing to lend her voice um, and provide some insight upon a situation I think was very powerful um, of her because she didn't have to do that. Obviously, it's probably a traumatic experience for her every single time she goes back and even, you know, um, talks about it. I'm sure it brings up certain kind of uh, certain certain kinds of um, emotions. Um, so shout out to, um, to your people doing that. Yeah. It's very emotional for her. And just to add a little bit more perspective, so we all have that alert. I won't say we all, but a lot of people have that family member who is a cousin, but it is more like a sibling to them. Yeah. That's who this person was to her. Okay. They're born a month and a day apart. And when he died, he was 22 years old and he died on the night that TRP as an undrafted rookie made the Washington Mystics. When she found out I made the team, I didn't even get drafted, but I made the WNBA, which we probably talk about a little bit because it's pretty much impossible to be an undrafted rookie and make a team because as we saw yeah. pretty much everybody in the second and third round 
got cut and they didn't even have training camp this year. So on that night, when you find out that, oh, she did it. And it's for the hometown team, Alexandria, Virginia, where they grew up. She went to the school, T.C. Williams, the school that's featured on Remember the Titans. That's her school. That's crazy. So, that's, that's actually, and that's to play for the hometown right. home. Right. So, and, and that's the school that um, Julian Dawkins, her cousin, went to as well. They're both graduates of that school. So to have all that perspective and to make your hometown team to be one of 144-ish players in the league, but you were undrafted and make that team, that's a night of celebration. And then to essentially get a call the morning after that your cousin, your brother, your best friend isn't there anymore, and then you start to learn details about it, that's heartbreaking. So that's why it's so emotional for her to talk about every time. So again, shout out to her for talking about it. And the thing she talked about was, you know, yes, she didn't have all the answers and that's okay. But she said, and this is my takeaway from it, she said that this is something that needs to be a constant conversation, that we can't let this die out just because there's no longer a curfew or there's no longer a lot of protests or there's no longer um, outrage that people haven't been arrested. Like it's a constant conversation and it's a lot of nuance to it. There's nuance to the fact that, you know, she mentioned that she would love to see more black people, men and women step up and be police officers in their own community. Yeah. I, I, Personally, for me, um, when the news kind of came down, I think one of the first conversations I had was that I would love to see more African-Americans become police officers. Um, obviously, you know, obviously, cops are going to do what cops are going to do. So I'm not going to say that, like, that's going to solve every single problem because it's not. But I think that a lot of it is, you know, why are four white cops getting dispatched to any African-American neighborhood to solve any disturbance? I just think that that, that puts everybody on high alert. For one, they aren't from that community. So, you know, it's like if you sit me in the middle of a cartel land in Mexico and be like, yo, go be a police officer. I'm going in there with all my prejudged, you know, everything about the people who live there. And I don't really understand the language. I don't understand, you know, the lifestyle. I don't understand what they're doing. I think that, and me, I've been pulled over. It's definitely a difference between when you see a black cop and when you see a white cop. Granted, it's the police in general, so we all on high alert with the police in general, but a thought creeps in my mind when it's a black cop, like, oh, they might be cool. And also, you think that at least they get me, they get our language, they, you know, they get me a little bit more than what a a white cop would. So I think that that was, I'm happy she said that, because we've been in this thing, you know, for the past week or so, everybody's like, F the police, F the police, F the police. And I'm happy that she said we need more um, minority African-American cops, men or women, because I genuinely think we do. And granted, I don't think that will save every situation and, you know, completely switch everything. But if you could even save one life, two lives, you know, on a daily basis, I think I personally think that's huge. I personally think it will make a big difference because when you're talking about life and death, when you're talking about shooting someone, this is a decision you make in nanoseconds. Thanks. These are not premeditated murders where you've been thinking about it all day, yeah, all week, all month, and you're plotting and setting it up. This is like a split-second decision where if you have a different perspective, then you can come at it from, you can way. just take that breath, that, that pause, and then that's the difference between life and death. 
you know, I think a lot of these police officers get sick in these communities and they're scared when they get there. I mean, obviously, and mm-hmm. that's and and that's on you, you know, like you picked a dangerous job. So you got to be, be prepared for that. But again, I think a lot of them are scared when they get to these places. These are places that they've never hung out in, you know, not, not like they know people in these communities. Um, they wouldn't be there if they weren't on duty. Um, and they're scared. And they walk in there and they're getting trigger happy again because they're just scared. You know, like they want to go home to their families too. And granted, this is not at all excusing it. I'm just saying that, again, I think having people who are in these communities, police these communities, um, who can look at these people as people, you know, because I think a lot of times, sometimes because they're scared, they don't look at them as people because they're so fearful. They're going off what, you know, the media has portrayed about them or what they've been taught and not firsthand experience. So you're right. If you have people who are from the community, these are some of their friends or like, well, maybe not these people in general that, that they're pulling over, but they have friends like that. They know about it. They know what's going on. You know, they've been in, they've been in the streets before, whether it would be, you know, in high school, um, you know, they might've had a friend who did this or things like that. I think I'm with you. I, I, I think it would make a huge difference. And again, even for the people who see the police, I think, I think I can speak on this. I think that when you see an African-American cop, Again, they're still the police, so you like, oh, it's the police. But there is that thought that creeps in your mind, like, oh, he might be cool, as opposed to you hop out, you see four white cops. It's like, whoa, what's this going on? I agree with you. Again, shout out to TRP. We look forward to continuing that conversation with you, continuing the conversation with other players on the Sparks. TRP mentioned that she talks to NACA every day, and this is something that they talk about. I know that Simone Augustus has direct impact um, with Alton Brown in Louisiana. That case, that was where that happened outside of that store. That was a store that Simone Augustus frequented. Mm. Okay. That's like a, a neighborhood store for her. And you have Shanae Gumbake, who has become a, a public face on ESPN. And she essentially used a sports analogy and said that, you know, comparing you know, the when people say all lives matter compared to black lives matter, she kind of compared it to saying that, you know, black lives matter is like, it's, it's, that's just saying, it's like being in a, a sports game where, you know, you th- think it's even, but it's, you're up 50, you start the game up 50 points with two minutes to go. Yeah. That was her analogy comparing. Yeah, as far as this all lives matter, black lives matter thing, I think that I, I, I'm not, and I'm not trying to get into not, it. Not, I was just I saying was, that I was, that was, I, was a I was, I was, who I was, I just like, platform. I just, I just, I just want to say this like one thing that I, I, I think that sometimes people take this thing of being pro-black means anti-American or anti-white in some races, and no, it doesn't. It just means that you're proud to be black and you want people to realize that. You know, there are issues and we face a lot of issues and we want our lives to matter too. And that's all it's saying is we want you to know that our lives matter too. It doesn't mean that we're saying these are the only lives that matter. We just want you to understand that, yo, our lives matter too. Like we should not be looked at as less than anybody else. And the fact that six, seven years after we started, we're still having this conversation with people are coming with it with the all lives matter. It kind of is like, I feel like if you, if you don't get it by now, it's because you're not trying to get it. But I think you said a key word in there, and it's a key word of a discussion that I've had with 
an 80 some year old member of my family who grew up in Georgia and lived mm. through the civil rights there. She has always contended to me that she feels like Black Lives Matter would be more effective if it said Black Lives Matter too. Not just Black Lives Matter. Sure, I'm not going to disagree and, with you. And, and, and the, reason I, the reason I said that is just because you brought up, you said, you know, Black Lives Matter too. Like you're adding the in addition to, not saying that it is the only. And so that's why I think that one word, the syntax of that, just adds that extra perspective that it is in addition to and not only. Now, Maybe. it shouldn't have to be clarified yeah, exactly. for that, but again, it is what it is. But let's, yeah. let's yeah. But again, we can, I just, we can I, move I, I, on to some other. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so the NBA is going to Orlando. Thank God. We don't know exactly <laughs> where the WNBA is going yet. There are some talks about them either going to IMG Academy mm-hmm. in Tampa area, yep. which would be the state of Florida, or MGM area in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at it as being that the WNBA has 12 teams. I look at it as hosting a extended conference tournament. I think 12 teams is the perfect amount of teams that you can have play on one site. It's kind of like having a conference play on one site and I don't see how it wouldn't work with the proper protocols and the proper safety. It just seems like it should work. It's it's a tournament essentially. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many weeks, but let's just say a two or three month tournament. That's what it should look like. Um I think as as we go further we learn more about, you know, the virus um and, and, and also as Obviously, it's still a scary thing and people are still losing their lives, but I feel like a little bit less of the unknown factor is there at this point. You know, we've been living with this for about four or five months. So we kind of, you know, know what to do. We know what proper precautions to take. Um, I think they can pull it off. I do. Um, I also think that it's imperative that they pull it off because I think that this could be a landmark season for the league. Um, you know, you get to the point where you finally have super teams. You know, there was a lot of movement within the league. Uh, and I think that that draws excitement. Like, it was the first time, at least that I remember, when, like, WNBA free agency was a thing. Like, a lot of people, yeah. like, a lot of people switch teams. And free agency, to me, I think, brings excitement because you just don't know. You know, It was and, essentially the first time it was a thing because pretty much before now, they always had the option to essentially franchise, franchise a player. You, yeah. you could core a player and – like, yeah, you're not going to turn down more money. So you kind of just have to stay there unless you force your way out, like we saw Liz and Skylar do. Yeah. Other than that, there was no, there was not much, or Shanae, there was not much free agency in, or there was no, essentially there was no free agency in the WNBA. So with their new CBA, the eyes on it. And then also, we are, as a country, people are clamoring for sports like for they want entertainment something. in general right so <laughs> yeah. the fact that the WNBA draft was the second highest rated draft they ever had and it got great uh ratings and it 
a lot of people. It was actually a great draft too. Like, yeah, it was like a lot of like, people enjoyed it. No, nah, no, nah, like, like in general, I think it was a great draft. I think they pulled it off great. I think they set the, they kind of set the mold. You know, the NFL draft came after that, and they kind of mm-hmm. even used the mold that the WNBA used. I actually wouldn't mind if the draft was like that forever. I thought it was super dope. You know, seeing people with their families, seeing them. You know, even the way the commissioner announced it, and then having. You know, the people zoom in or whatever thing they use to talk yeah. to them. I thought it was super dope person. Well, I'd like to see it be a combination where you know how you still get that first round where they get to be there in person, but then the second and third round, maybe you could do the zoom for them. Yeah. I'd like to see a combination of it. Fair. Um I, but the thing about it is, so they had this great draft, but then there's no training camp. <laughs> and then you have to cut players because it's time for people to get paid. So people yeah. had to get their first paycheck. So they couldn't carry more than 12 players, and some teams are down to 11 yeah. on their roster, and they had to get to the, the salary cap. So a lot of players didn't even get the opportunity to show themselves in a training camp, which is very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Very, very unfortunate. I, I, I think a lot of talent probably went by the wayside this year um, because of the virus and you know, because they didn't have a training camp. Um, but, again, I, like I said, I think it's very important that they play this season. Again, I think that they were building momentum off last year. I think the way the finals went, finals were incredibly exciting. Um, I think Della Don having the season that she had brought excitement to the league. Um, I think the Mystics as a whole brought excitement to the league, playing the way that that they play. And I'm interested to see if the WNBA adapts some of that style. You know, people always copy the winner. Um, obviously, threes are exciting. Um, they score more points. The games, you know, at least look higher scoring. Um, and again, it's women's basketball. Like even the tallest players are about six five, six six. Like we've said this many times, everybody should be um shooting threes. So if they can build off what they did last year, especially I mean, even the uh Vegas Chicago game that that they had, one of the craziest endings I think I've ever seen in my life. Right. Literally, like I think that they were building momentum. And if they didn't play this season, I think it would be a catastrophe because I thought that this season had the potential to be one of the best in in league history, if not the best in league history. Yeah, I don't see how they don't play or don't start to play. My concern is, and this is the same for the NBA or MLS or NHL or whoever is starting up these leagues again, even MLB. What do they do? And I don't want to say if, but if I put all of those leagues together, what do one of those leagues do when a player tests positive for coronavirus. I mean, I think you... Because if you talk about all them leagues, it's going to be pretty much impossible for someone I mean, not related to those leagues to test positive. I, mean, I think you just, Last time they shut down. I mean, I think you just quarantine the player. Again, I, I think that we know more about it. You know, we know that it's not necessarily a death sentence off top if you get it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're talking about young and healthy athletes, you know, so you you hope that even if they did get it, that they could survive it and be okay. And, you know, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have any long-term effects. I think number one, you educate them about how to keep their immune systems healthy. Number one, you know, I know vitamin D is a huge thing. They say like a lot of the people who get it or pass away from it are vitamin D deficient. So, you know, make sure everybody is on a regimen where they could, you know, some good vitamin D, um, take vitamin D pills. Also, again, I think we're at the place where you can quarantine the player. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as it's not a situation in which an entire team gets it, then that's when it's bad. If it's like one player or two players and maybe a staff member, you just quarantine, you know, that member or that player and you go about your business and, you know, hope that everybody else, 
is um okay and 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 as long as they have the testing for it um i think testing is probably the biggest part like how how often can you get tested how many tests can you get do you have to hire a private company can you go through the state i think that'll probably be the 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 biggest hurdle for all leagues personally i think the great thing for the WNBA again is that they are 12 teams so yeah, they are half the size of any other league that's about to start up. If the it's NBA true. is talking about starting with 22, that's essentially double the size. Major League Baseball is 30 teams. Everybody would play. MLS, in their tournament, everybody's supposed to play. I believe they have 20-some teams now. So they're just so much smaller. So that should lower the risk of it exponentially. You know, um, like – Got a lot of educated players, too. I mean, these these players are not – I don't think they are the type of women to be risky. Yeah. Most of their players in the WNBA, if you are an American in the WNBA, like 99% of them are four-year college graduates. Yeah. These are educated women. They are aware. And they've had 10 to 12 weeks to be aware of what's going on. I think they'll be okay. Um, you know, even uh, shout out Sydney Weiss. Um, she caught the virus. Um, she survived it. Um, I think even Liz Cambay said that she suspected she had it back in January before it kind of really blew up. Um, she didn't say that. I think that they'll be okay. Um, okay. If this was three months ago, I would be a little bit more weary of it, but at least just knowing what we know about the virus now where it doesn't seem as much of a death sentence. Um, again, granted, we don't know everything about it still. It's still something that's new, but it doesn't seem like it's as much of a death sentence. I feel like us as a country are kind of coming out um, from behind the rock from it a little bit and coming away from our fear factor a little bit, you know, things are starting to open up, even with the protests, the fact that that many, like three weeks ago, that many people would have never gathered in a space. So they would have been too scared. I think that, you know, even with things like that, with so many people gathering in, you know, one space, I think it takes a little bit of the fear away from, you know, coronavirus. And um, I think they'll be okay. I honestly do. Somebody may get sick. That's, that's definitely a possibility, but you just, you know, I hope that it's not a full team quarantine that player um, give them the right medication, nurse them back to health, um, and continue with the season. I think they'll be okay. I think that them, but I think that they have to play basketball this season. Again, like I, I, I think it's too much on the line, and you don't want to risk the momentum that you've built um, having the great year that you had last year. You have to play this season somehow. Okay. Well, if you talk about playing the WNBA season, so they already had a month break built in yeah. in the summer. They'll probably have to have a similar month break next year if they want their players to play in the 2021 Olympics. A lot of their players are already signing for overseas, which will begin October-ish, November-ish. They're already signing to play like the next year because, you know, they're still making the bulk of their money overseas. Even with the new contracts, they're still going to make more money over there. Like the higher played players that are – you know, making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not a million, um, like a select few. So with that in mind, I would look for a condensed season. How many uh, How many games is um, condensed to you? I think if you are able to play at least half the season, if you, so can, play, if you can play 16 to 20, I think that's enough to get a playoffs going. You got to get to at least 24, in my opinion. 24. Okay. 16 is a little, nah, that's a little bit. 
Well, the good thing about it is if they're all in one place, you don't have to travel. So, cause that's one of the things about the WNBA, yeah. especially the way they travel commercially for the most part, they have to build in time to go from LA to New York and Phoenix to New York and Indiana to Seattle and all of these different places. So if they're all in one place, then yeah, you can play three or four games a week yeah. easily. So you're right. You can play 24. What is, what is June 4th right now? Um, I say the NBA want to start up July 31st. Maybe you could start around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you said overseas starts in November. I mean, sometimes they was taking flights the next week to go to to go overseas anyway. Right. Um, so maybe you could, you know, I mean, I would say play games every day. Maybe not the, maybe not that team would play every day. But again, like I said, if you are traveling, it's not as big yeah, of a deal. there's no travel. Yeah, yeah there's no travel. There's, there's no there's travel. Just- Bus travel. So I mean, hey, Shuttle play. Travel. So play throughout August, throughout September, um, okay. October. Get your little playoffs going, and hope that you're done maybe by October twentieth, October fifteenth, okay. something like that. If you if you adopt a summer league type schedule, where like you said, you play every day, not necessarily, and your team gets to like every third or fourth day off. And then you can just mill through the games. You get a standings. You get a separation between top teams and lower tier teams. Then you should be okay. Yeah, okay. Okay, I can see 24 then. I mean, you wouldn't have much practice time in between, but figure it out. Right. Well, mentioning no practice time, then I think that that could help certain teams, maybe like the Sparks. So they have the final 12 roster. They got five new players, no Maria Vadiva, but pretty much everybody on the Sparks is a veteran. The youngest player on the Sparks will be in her second year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Christine that they got from Dallas, Christine Inigwe, who they got from Dallas, who came from Connecticut, the one that was in the... (laughs) The infamous brawl. No, the infamous runaway. She didn't fight. She she, She didn't fight. Let me, yeah, let me, let me uh, relax. She didn't want that smoke. But you know what? Her and Brittany Griner are cool now. Okay. I saw that they have, they have worked out during the offseason, met up and everything like that. So there's there's no beef between them. Kind of just like Liz and, and uh, Kalani. You know, they all squashed these. Yeah, days. yeah. I mean, you know, it's like. Not, it's not long term. This is not yeah, real. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not real beef. It's like all in the spirit of competition. They, they, yeah. they, don't, they don't hate each other. But mentioning the Sparks 12 and that everybody essentially is – three years or more experience and then half the team is like, you know, seven, eight years experience. I feel like a team like that, if they can come together in a conference tournament style situation, they should have an advantage over some of these other teams, but they got to lock in. Like they got to lock in and they got to believe from the beginning and there can't be any division and whatever this is or not is between Derek Fisher and Candace Parker, that's got to be squashed before day one. That's got to be squashed day zero. That cannot be an issue. I think it's fine, honestly. Um, shout out Candace, but I think that Candace is – I think she's – how can I say this? I think she knows. Like, she wasn't playing her best. She wasn't. She wasn't playing her best. We sat here on the podcast before the game, and I said – uh, Sinead needs to take a lot of Candace's minutes. That's mm-hmm. what happened. I think she can look and realize that outside of game one, she didn't play her best. 
Derek was doing his best to win a basketball game. Like, I'm trying to win a game. I'm not trying to take nobody emotions. I'm trying to win a game. And also, it's what it's eight months later. Like, yeah. I, I don't I don't think that matters. But this is actually probably almost a year later by that time. Like, I don't think anybody is. She's an emotional person. Let me ask this question then before we get back to the roster. This is a roster question. Who does Pavy think is the best player on the Sparks? I'm going to go NECA. Okay. NECA. I think is the most valuable player on the Sparks? Mm. Uh, I think it'll be a tie some nights between Chelsea and Christie. Um, I think Christie is the best perimeter scorer. Um, but I think that Chelsea is – see, they just like, – they, they – the fact that those two can ISO the way that they could both ISO and their footwork is both incredible, I think it'll be switched off between Chelsea and Christie depending on the night and, like, depending on the matchup. I don't think too many teams have guards that can guard both of those, both of them. Now, if you ask me those questions – and when I say best, I guess, and let me say this too. So when I say best, I guess I meant most talented. Would you still say Naka? Still say Naka. Okay. I would still say Candace Parker because At of this, her versatility. At this stage, I would still say Candace Parker is, I'm not the mad best, at you. is the best player on the team because I think that Candace Parker is a not as flashy, but I think she is a better passer than Chelsea Gray because she has a lot more height to her and a lot more range. And that just adds a lot more dexterity and roundness to her passing. Like her passes can go just a lot more places than Chelsea Gray. But most valuable, I would say NECA. See, the reason I would, why – I wouldn't answer Chelsea in either one of those. That's but, fair. But if you ask Derek Fisher – he probably would say Chelsea is the most valuable player, and he might even say she's the best player. See, the reason why I would say Neck is the best player because I think that, yes, offensively, because Candace's versatility, I think, you know, she has something to say for Neck because I, I, I think Neck is a better uh, – better. she's better at scoring the way she scores right now than Candace is. Mm-hmm. But defensively, I think Neck is far and away the best defensive player um, on this team. And when I do best, I group it all in. Without far and away, I think TRP is up there. But I think that NECA, to me, I think NECA should have been defensive player of the year or like at least should have got some votes for it. I think NECA is the most efficient by far. I think that NECA has, between her and Candace, even though NECA, obviously NECA's younger, but I think that her game, the way NECA <coughs> plays, has the most longevity to her game. I think Not that when, between NECA and Candace, I think when NECA is Candace's age, NECA will still be – you'll still be saying like, man, she can still play four or five years. Because I look at the way that <coughs> has focused on her health and her eating habits and the different things she's doing. She just seems like she's on just a totally different level when it comes to health and longevity and all of that. So I just feel like that she's the most valuable. But The way she plays too. It's, 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 but, it's, it's not. but that's the thing. The Sparks have so many players and there's not a wrong answer who's the best player you could say like realistically you could either say uh NECA Candace or Chelsea and you could say your point I say my point and then we just have to squash it 
most valuable you could say about four. You could say the most valuable, honestly, will be Christy because she'll be the difference. I agree. Like person they didn't have last year. I agree. You know, Um, she'll be the person that can take pressure off Chelsea Gray when Chelsea didn't have anybody to carry the backcourt load and she just got trapped and that wasn't. I also think that Derek kept calling over screens. I'm like, you should just let her ISO one-on-one just stop calling the screen over and getting a trap, but that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother day. But yes, you're correct. You right. probably couldn't have trapped her if you had somebody else like Christy on the court who could also take advantage of you one-on-one and also shoot the ball if need be. So I don't know. I think that – I think if – well, one other thing that we learned from TRP's conversation is she said that the players – have their own Zoom meeting once a week, and they have their own group chats. So if these players, regardless of how anybody on the team feels about a coach or a general manager or an organization, if these 12 players decide that they are going to be one and they don't care about egos aside and they just want to win a championship, then they can be successful. Also, because they all how to play basketball. You don't have to tell me that you have to tell Candace Parker how to play basketball. Yeah, you can point out things to her, but you're not teaching Candace Parker how to play basketball yeah. anymore. Also, also, um, obviously, I don't know if we'll be there to see it firsthand and you know, close hand and close up because it'll be in Florida. But they did get rid of Penny. Um, you know, players may have felt the way that they felt about um, Penny. So I'm interested to, to see the atmosphere. Right? You know, is it a freer atmosphere? Mm-hmm. You know, do they do they do they feel a little bit more inclined to make mistakes? But same way, inclined to make mistakes, they feel freer. Yeah, because you know, a lot of that that angst they felt could have could have could have it could have been from, it could have seemed like it was directed at Derek Fisher, but it could have really been yeah, it could have really been at that that other voice that's saying do this, do that, do, do, that, this. do that. You're not my coach. Yeah, you know, so 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 maybe they come back a little bit in the league in twenty years. Like Yeah, so maybe they come back a little bit freer. Like I would be very interested to see. Granted, we won't see firsthand close up a lot of times, mm-hmm. obviously, because like we won't be, I mean, I don't know if, but we probably won't be there there. Um but I'm very interested to like to see. If they decide to go to Vegas though, I'm down for it. I'm one thousand percent going. I'm <laughs> so going. I am so I will take a chance to go to Vegas. I will put on my mask, I will put on my gloves. <laughs> And I will 1,000% go to Vegas and cover them games. <laughs> on everything else, I will put on my mask and my gloves, and I will definitely be in Vegas. <laughs> put on my mask, gloves, say a prayer. <laughs> and I will 1,000% be in Vegas. Bring me a whole bunch of vitamin D pills. Let's go. <sighs> I think that – I don't know. I think that the idea of being able to use private property is probably best, though. Because if the NBA and the WNBA are, you know, brother and sister leagues, they kind of share league offices and things like that. They share modeling and different things like that. If they say, you know, oh, we're going to do Disney. If the WNBA is not going to Disney as well, you know, going to an academy that is private property that is expansive is kind of the same thing. My thing is I also think that, it's my theory. I think that these games will have fans at them. I don't think it'll be many. I think it'll be very small capacity. I don't think it'll be full, but I think that these games will have some element of fans in them. I do. I don't know. I, th- I think it's possible to do them without fans because as long, I think, as, I, as, long yes. as I live in Orlando, when they had Orlando Summer League, 
it was media and personnel only. If yes. you put enough media and personnel in there in a small gym, you'll feel like you got people. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that that's also a possibility as well. Like, Because you know, to me, I, I, if it's going to Disney, ESPN owns Disney. They're going to be there. Or Disney owns ESPN, ESPN Disney yeah. owns ABC. You know they're going to be there. Yes, yes, but... It's not going to be closed gyms with nobody in there. Of course, of course, of course. But my thing also is that I think... That would depend on how big the gym is. I don't know how big the gym is. I have no idea. But I think that you can fit... Depending on how big the gym is. Again, I have no idea how big the gym is. This, I can tell you, Disney has gyms that can seat anywhere from, like... 1,000, 1,500, all the way up to about 65 to 8,000. 6,500 to 8,000 is their main gym. If you could fit 8,000 there, then I think that you could maybe get but that's 500. Like, but that's like side to side. But So go ahead. 500. I think you can maybe get 500 people in there. Now, I don't know what those tickets would cost, but I think you can maybe get 500 to like 1,000 people in there. You maybe put like two, two seats of distance between everybody unless they came together. Put two seats what's, of distance between what's everybody. The point of that? When you could easily have... 500 personnel from the NBA and other teams because you're going to want to scout the other games. So you're going to have I mean, I think that five, you can do however both. many players from whoever. I mean, I, I think that you can do both and just separate it. I mean, if you have a whole, you know, 8,000 seat arena to yourself. 500 people in there is going to be worth it revenue wise for the risk. Like no, they're not going to any money from it. That's fair. I won't like, argue with you. Like if you're not, that's why you have fans at a stadium because you make money from it. Some leagues make more, like Major League Baseball allegedly makes like 40% from fans in the stadium. I think the NBA does too, if I'm not mistaken. I think I saw the, I think I saw the answer, they make 40%. Maybe them as well, but the NFL is closer to 20%. They make so much money on TV that that's why the NFL was able to do blackouts for the longest. I mean, I, I'm not... They still um, do blackouts. I'm not going to argue with you. I just, I just said this because I saw, I think I saw a tweet from, I think it was Florida's governor. Um, Ron DeSantis. Well, yeah, well, not from the governor, but somebody said that the governor said that uh, they're going to try to have fans or that he anticipates fans being able to be at the game or something like oh, that. Oh, so he's willing to do it. He's willing yeah. to do it. He is a conservative Republican governor who is, he was a member of Congress before he became governor. And he has an endorsement from President Trump, not to get political, but just say that to say that he is... He'd be willing to do it. He's willing to do it, and he's willing to be almost honestly, I have to use the word liberal, he's willing to be more liberal with people being in public spaces, even though he's a conservative. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And so, because they that's business for them. Like, Florida is a tourist Tourist, yeah, yeah, tourist kind. So, I mean, they got Universal that's going to open up soon. They have SeaWorld. They have Disney, which has like multiple parks. It's got like four or five Miami, parks. Miami, people always come. Bush Gardens, Lauderdale, Daytona Beach. Right. Yeah. So it's a tourist economy, and this is tourist season, and so they're going to be willing to do what they have to do to survive. Like yeah. everybody is going to have to come out of this with some level of budget cuts. Agreed. But if you can limit that by figuring out how to open up your economy more than others and make money off of it, you'll be a little better off economically. Also, I think the WNBA has to play this year because I don't know what their TV deal says, but I'm sure it's they have to play a certain amount of games probably to get the TV money. 
So I think that, like, they have to figure out a way to play basketball this season. Oh, they yeah. cannot let the season go by the wayside. If they the NBA just decided they're going to play, they're going to play. WNBA is going to figure yeah. out they're going to play. They're, they're not going to tell the that it's smaller with less people that they can't play. Yeah. It's just a matter of where are you going to play? Before, I was unsure. But then once the NBA talks revved up and also kind of once, again, once I learned more and more and more about coronavirus, not saying it's not a threat because I do think it's still a huge, serious threat and we should all protect ourselves. But it's not something where you have to, like, lock yourself in the house and hide away forever. Mm -hmm. You can move around. You can do things as long as you do them smartly. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be out now I'm like it, it doesn't exist as long as you can take the proper precautions you can make it happen so i think they'll be able to make it happen can i ask you this question what's up and i'm asking this for the sparks fans that listen to the spark report who do you think the sparks will miss the most in the 2020 season of players that are no longer here and i'll go maria vadiva elena beard alexis jones Kalani brown and I feel like I'm missing one more. That's Marina. Marina Mabry. Uh, I'm going to go Elena. I'm going to go Elena just from leadership purposes. Um, you know, I think that she's a veteran. She's also like another coach out there. I think she's somebody that, um, you know, when things are going a certain way, she can pull people. Like, even if she's not playing, mm -hmm. she can still pull people to the side and be like, hey, do this, do this. And I think that, you know, anytime somebody has played 14, 15 years, um, two-time defense player of the year. Um, it's also even uh, when uh, she was younger, be the scorer that, you know, she once was. Right, 20-point scorer. Yeah, I think that you missed that. Like, you can never put a price on someone's mind. Um, and I think that she would probably be the one that you miss most because, again, like basketball minds like that just don't grow on trees. And, you know, when you lose her, you lose a lot of basketball knowledge. So I'm gonna I say, agree. So I'm going to say – Elena Beer is the one that they'll miss most. Yeah, I agree. I used to call her a master basketball player. So to not have her is going to be important. But I think that it's also important that to note that Simone Augustus says that that's the role she wants to fill. Great. She wants to be that voice. She wants to be that vet. And she says that she has experience doing that, being that she came off the bench for Team USA. And Great. so she was the one saying, oh, I see this, I see that, do this, do that. So Great. I think that's a great thing about having her. I mean, they have so many players. And if you're going to be playing more frequently, then there's no excuse to not have a longer rotation, a larger rotation, and for it to depend on the day and the team you're playing. So everybody should be able to get playing time Significant playing time throughout this season. Yes, if they get to the point in the playoffs, you got to cut it down and get to, you know, who is the core, who are the best six, seven players on the team and ride them out and win this championship. But everybody is going to be able to play from best player to the end of the bench. Yeah, Derek has another year, some hard decisions to make. But again, it's never – uh, I think these are the, the decisions that you, the hard decisions that you want, the hard decisions that you want to make. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't want it to be a situation in which you're devoid of talent and you're trying to figure out who can play. I think on this roster you have right. 12, uh, 12 ladies who are all uh, very capable of playing basketball, um, can right. play basketball at a um, very high level, and could get playing time on any team in the league. You know, right. I don't think you have anybody on this roster that couldn't play anywhere else. And you got to clear 10 of them who could start for – Who could start. 
the only two people who I see who are not clear cut WNBA starters on somebody's team right now is Marie Gulich, who is in her own right, a two-time defensive player of the year in the Pac-12, and you can't put a price on defense. And then Christine Anigwe, who is an all-ACC player, who, again, is another defensive anchor, but with a elite level of athleticism. Agreed. So, I don't know if Simone could start at this point in time in her career, but... She started last year for the, the Lynx. Did she start the whole season? Because I feel no, like she, she was coming like, off the bench. Now, yeah. when I say start, I don't mean start and play 35 minutes a game. Okay, but you mean, yeah, that's fair. You could start You her. could start and play 15 minutes. That's, right, that's fair. yeah. You could just start her just because, like, you're going to You can start, start and play bench minutes. That, yeah, that, that guy. yeah, you can start and just be a part of the starting line. Yeah, that but that doesn't sense. mean that you play, you know. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's but fair, even that's if fair. you take her out, even if you take her out, there's nine. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Who but again, know for sure who can start and play 30 minutes a game. Again, those are those are good problems to have. Mm-hmm. Um, at least you have an issue in which you're devoid of talent. Or even like last year in which you had some rookies on the you know, end of the bench. You know, you had Maria, you had uh, Kalani, who I love. And I'm happy that Kalani gets to go to Atlanta and get some playing time. I think that right. she'll do great things in um, Atlanta. I also think Marina will be able to play more in Dallas. So shout out to her. Um, Alexis Jones even made the dream. Yeah, exactly. So, so blessings to all of them. Um, I think that all of them will benefit from having more playing time. But I think that in the Sparks case, they're in a situation in which you got a lot of older players. You know, you you don't have too much time left with Candace. Simone doesn't have too much time. I think even NECA is trending towards thirty years old. Um, Christy is older. You want to win right now, right. and I think that they made the right decisions and put together the white roster to be able to win right now. And you mentioned Christy Tolliver. And so we were talking about what the team loses from Elena Beard. You automatically gain in that from Christy Tolliver. You're right. And you're gaining coach. and you're gaining it from somebody who is going to be making those suggestions on the fly on the court. Yeah. Like this is not somebody yelling from the bench or talking to you in timeouts. Like, yeah. like she's seeing it firsthand. Yeah. And yes, she's not going to be the coach and she's not going to be telling people what to do, but the fact that she's out there experiencing it with you in real time. Yeah. That's different. That's something yeah. that they didn't have last year. They didn't have Elena Beard for 30-some games experiencing and seeing what she saw in real time and translating it. It was being translated after the fact. Or it was being translated in one-on-one conversations. Or it was being translated at practice when Elena would actually practice. Yeah. And just from watching what I've watched about the triangle offense, which I'm sure Derek is going to run, you know, like – um continue to run some some semblance of the triangle. Maybe not on the full long, you know, yeah. whole triangle, but he'll run some semblance of it. Basically it's read and react. So you have a lot of uh, ladies who are who have very high basketball IQs mm-hmm. and also a season like this in which I don't anticipate there being much playing time. But not yeah. not playing time. Practice time. Right. Um I think that the fact that you have players we can kind of roll the ball out and be like, all right, y'all figure it out. I don't think he has to coach that much. Like you don't yeah. have to tell Christy, Candace, NECA Chelsea, Shanae, uh, Simone, you don't have to tell these players what to do. Like, they've all been in the league for a while. They've all had success on their own. They'll be okay. They know how to just go out there and play basketball. So I think that this team will benefit from that, especially in a season in which I don't anticipate you having much practice time. Can I admit something? And maybe other Sparks fans or Sparks people who are paying attention to the team see this. At first, I kind of believed Derek Fisher that he wasn't going to do triangle offense stuff. And I just thought that they was just 
playing some sort of motion offense and it just didn't seem like there were plays that the players were just doing whatever. That's how it looked at first from my perspective. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hearing, you know, people like Chanae talk about like, oh yeah, you know, these are things that I'm working on, you know, for the triangle offense. Like now that I have it in my mind, like I see it. Yeah, and, and even with, you know, going back and even when they uh, did the Last Dance documentary, one thing I did do, the, my favorite part about it actually wasn't even the documentary when they had like Phil Jackson and Steve Kerr, they had Dennis Rodman all breaking down a triangle. So even when I'm watching the games, now I can just see the triangles. You know, yeah. I think the thing about the triangles, like once you realize what it is and you can right. look on the court and literally just see the triangles and see, right. you know, how it goes. And, and now again, looking back, I see it in the Sparks highlights. Like, I'm oh, like, oh. It's that's triangle. What it's a triangle. Yeah. It's a triangle. But maybe, but maybe that's because of my vantage point watching at one end of the court and not being up like a TV camera yeah, yeah. and not seeing it from like that sideline view. We see yeah. it from the end of the basket. Yeah, 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 the basket, which is, and then also, you know, you you, you kind of got the basket blocking, you know, mm-hmm. one one like uh, line of view, so you can't you 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 can't look down on it. You kind of like looking straight at it, which it could be plus. Maybe. Plus, we're not used to a triangle offense being like a true point guard dominated offense with Chelsea Gray either. Like she was yeah, but still see, the primary think, ball handler. Yeah, but see, I don't think it was a Chelsea Gray dominated offense in my opinion. I think that her and Candace kind of shared the ball handling responsibility. Candace didn't play half the games. It was a That's Chelsea fair. Gray dominated offense. But, but yes, but I'm saying like when Candace did play, I don't think it was dominated by Chelsea Gray. I think Chelsea Gray, when Candace did play, played as much off ball as she did on ball. Yeah, because I think that I think that was because Chelsea respects and admires Candace enough where she still defers to her. No, I just think that also Chelsea. I think that was deference. Yeah, but same time, I think that Chelsea, you have to utilize her scoring ability. And I think that putting her off ball, letting her, you know, come and get gives, letting her come off a screen. It puts her in different situations with a mentality to, to, you know, score the ball instead of I'm coming down court, let me look for everybody else and then figure it out. Um, I think you also have to utilize her as a scorer. And I think that, that like, that's the point the, about, you know, Christy and mm-hmm. um, Chelsea being in the backcourt that kind of excites me is, that, is the fact that you have two combo guards. You know, so you can kind of play a, for, you know, lack of better uh, examples, a Russ and Harden type style in which, you know, either one of them can be stressed. You can use kind of either one of them off ball and or whoever gets – A WNBA right. example of that is the Connecticut Sun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Thomas well, and Williams. What they had last year, at least. Yeah, what Thomas and Williams. Yeah, where it's like both of them, you can use them off ball, on ball. Both of them can be, you know, scoring threats. You can kind of use them how, however you want to use them. That's what kind of excites me about that. Or like the Mystics, Natasha Cloud and Chrissy Tolliver. Yeah. Like Natasha Cloud is the point guard, and she's the – assists all-time assist leader for the Mystics, but Christy Tolliver is a point guard in her own right. Always been yeah. one, always will be. Just because yeah. she can score doesn't mean she's not a point. Agreed. Like, she pretty much got to be a point because she's 5'7", and she's, five she's not – Yeah. That's just nah. crazy. No, nah, she's 5'7", and she's not, like, somebody she who can essentially – My height, that is crazy. Yeah, you'll see one day. Um but so she's five seven, but she's not a person who can essentially have the athleticism to to dunk like Raquana Williams. Yeah, like Raquana five seven too. But she is five seven. Actually, cool. actually, she's five six. I think. <laughs> I think she's, she's actually shorter than me. Yeah, she probably is. Yeah, I think she's actually and shorter most, than me. 
most people, even in the WNBA, there are some that are their exact listed height, but most of them are probably an inch shorter or an inch or two shorter. Three three quarters to an inch shorter. Yeah. Like between you and me, Shanae is like six two. She's not really six four. She's listed as six three or six four. Yeah, she's yeah. Now Candace Parker. She says six four. Yeah, like Candace yeah. Parker is her height. Yeah. NECA is listed at six two. two. She's probably about six one. Yeah, she's about six one. But you know, once you got the shoes on, you're there the height they say. Yeah, exactly. And they, they do that in the NBA all the time. So exactly. I don't say that to to disrespect anybody's listed height or anything like that. But but yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm disappointed that there is no Maria Vadiva this year, but I don't think she was getting some <laughs> best for her. Best, best, best for her. I'd rather her not join the team this year. She is going to get playing time. Um, yeah. I think that the only thing stopping her from becoming a player that she's eventually going to be one day in this league is playing time. And if she isn't going to get the playing time this season, then I'd rather you know her just sit down and chill. Her give, her, give her a break. And you know another thing it does for the Sparks strategically? It delays her being paid a higher salary for another year. So she's not paid this year. I mean, that's so unfortunate she, for her, but yes. Yeah, but she's paid in Russia. Okay, yeah. she's making. She's the top Russian basketball player in the whole country on the top team with Brittany Griner and John Quill and all those people. They are paying her money, all right? Yeah. So I don't know how much they paid her, but Maria Vadiva ain't hurt. And realistically, $60,000 – like, I don't know how much difference that was going to make. That's true. I mean, but I would still take 6000 at any point in time. That, that, like, I got to yeah, take 6000 but, but, yes, you're correct. But the fact not going to be a – yes. But the fact that she's basically been playing pro since she was 15 or 16 year-round, she's been in the WNBA since she was 18 or 19 year-round, now she finally gets to take a break, I think that this can give longevity to her career because she was already wearing down before she even came back she had a knee injury and they were yeah. out and she was saying, oh, I don't know how long she's going to be out. So yeah. she's a long-term piece for this team. She's close with NECA. Like that's why her and NECA's locker were together. I never really thought about it, but her and NECA played together in Russia, just like Candace and Maria played together. Exactly. So like, that's a close person to her. Obviously we know she's cool with Sydney. We Sydney, we just got a new contract. Like Maria Vadima is not going anywhere. She's a piece of the Sparks, and as long as they're willing to, as long as she's willing to play in the WNBA, I feel like the Sparks will be willing to have her. And she's still like 22. She's st- it's still like drafting her out of college. You got to yeah. think about it like that. She's been in the league for this would have been her third year, I think, right? Yeah, three. Right. This would have been her third year. I appreciate you talking, Pab. We got a lot of stuff to look forward of course, to. Man. Let's do another one. When they decide where they're going to play, yes, yes, kind of continue to talk about this roster. This is a roster that is constantly, I won't say in development, but we can constantly talk about the different ways they're going to use it. I didn't even mention my Syracuse grab Brittany Sykes. I mean, they got so many players. We'll have to talk about that next time. Appreciate everybody listening to the Spark Report. John W. Davis for Pavy. All right, y'all. Peace.